Thanks for listening to the teaching ministry of Fellowship Bible Church in Mullica Hill, New Jersey. We trust today's message will challenge you and move you closer to Christ. Take your Bibles and go to Acts chapter 20. Will you stand with me for the reading of the word in Acts chapter 20? And while we begin in verse 1, eventually, I'm going to read this morning this select text from verse 7 and following. On the first day of the week, when we were gathered together to break bread, Paul talked with them, intending to depart on the next day, and he prolonged his speech until midnight. And there were many lamps in the upper room where we were gathered. And a young man named Eutychus, sitting at the window, sank into a deep sleep as Paul talked still longer. And being overcome by sleep, he fell down from the third story and was taken up dead. Paul went down and bent over him and taking him in his arms said, do not be alarmed for his life is in him. And when Paul had gone up and had broken bread and eaten, he conversed with them a long while until daybreak and so departed. And they took the youth away alive and were not, and, and were not a little comforted. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated couple thoughts in that. A little, not a little comforted when someone comes back from life is probably an understatement, right? But here's the other thing as I'm reading that and maybe you're visiting, I'm wondering what you were thinking when it said he preached until midnight. I, it, did anybody just look at your watch right there? Okay. Um, it, that's why we're built on one floor. So if you do fall asleep and fall out of the pew, you're not going to kill yourself. Okay. Um, we are in Acts chapter 20 for a reason. And that is because in this passage, you're going to find three things that you should do in your ongoing presentation of the gospel and in your ongoing Christian life. It's a passage that can seem a little filled with facts and details, but I think as you hear some of the stuff that's kind of unpacked in between the lines, um, it'll make sense. Here's the three things you got to do. Be an encourager, be an investor, be a faith stepper, okay? Okay, let's try to just say that with me. Be an encourager, be an investor, be a faith stepper. You say, Phil, I've never heard that last word before. That's because I made it up, right? So here we go. Be an encourager. Look with me at Acts chapter 20, verses 1 and 2. There we want to learn to use your words to help others, okay? Words are, words are incredibly powerful entities when we speak them. They can be hurtful. They can be frustrating. They can be angry. But they can also be encouraging. And when it comes to being an encourager... I want you to think in terms of your words to others in three ways. Speak them, write them, invite them, okay? Speak them, write them, invite them. So looking at the earlier verses in this text before we get to the story of Eutychus, look at verse one. After the uproar ceased, remember that's the uproar that had happened earlier in Ephesus where Paul was nearly executed and there was a huge stadium. We talked about that last week and everybody went running in there and there was a riot, okay? Not the first or last riot for the Apostle Paul. There's one more coming. Uh, Paul sent for the disciples and after encouraging them, he said farewell and departed from Macedonia. And when he had gone through those regions and had given them much encouragement, he came to Greece. Now, so I just want you to see two phrases there, encouraging them. And then as he traveled through Macedonia, where those other churches were that he had started, that he had, had been a part of, when he gets to those other churches, he still offers encouragement. Encouragement here is a great Greek word. It's the word parakaleo. You've heard me say this before, but it's para, kaleo, alongside, 
we like parallel bars, we uh, call para along, uh, alongside, kaleo to call. We come alongside someone and speak to them. And so I, I like to say it this way. One of the things you can do when you offer encouragement is to speak to them face to face. Don't just send a text, that's great. Don't just, um, don't, don't just send an email, that's helpful. But look for opportunities to speak face to face. Because parakaleo is, the, the word encouragement here, is a close proximity word. It's not a word out there someplace. I'm coming alongside of you. By the way, that's the same word that's used to describe the Holy Spirit as our helper. So just like the Holy Spirit comes alongside of us, so also do we to come alongside one another. The word parakaleo is translated a number of different ways. I love this. Comfort, encourage, beg, appeal, exhort, implore, entreat, plead, invite, urge. So all of those words kind of encompass this word as encouragement. Sometimes we think of his encouragement as only the good things, right? But sometimes encouragement is kind of like, hey, you can do this. You got to get going, okay? There can be a pleading and urging, uh, kind of helping pull them up by their bootstraps, if you will. Speak to them face to face. Use your words to help others. Now, here's the second idea, and, and uh, I love this because I was just teaching the book of Romans last week. Write them for repeated encouragement, okay? If you ever get like uh, a card, like just the other day, uh, let me encourage you in this way. Uh, look, I just used the word encourage, okay? Let me encourage you in this way. When you write Christmas cards this year, just jot something personal to the person, because I got one of those cards just last week. It was all of a sudden this Christmas card that came in. There's a picture of the family. And on the back of the card, it said, Phil, thank you for your ministry in my life. This has been a great growing spiritual year. Something like that, I'm paraphrasing. But the idea was that I could see something that was written. And when it's written, I don't know about you, but sometimes I go back and reread it. Okay. I have a card that... Uh, uh, that a prof of mine gave me probably 20-some years ago now that I just pulled out the other day and read again. Because words that are written provide repeated encouragement. You say, well, where do we find that? Look at verse 3. For there it says, there he spent three months. He spent three months in Greece, most believe here Corinth, possibly Athens, but mostly Corinth. But here's what I want you to see. In that one little phrase, he spent three months. I want to add something, and you might want to write this in the margin of your Bible there. There he spent three months in Greece writing the book of Romans, okay? And when a plot was made against him by the Jews, as he was about to set sail for Syria, he decided to return through Macedonia, okay? Just know this, that when you read, there he spent three months, Paul is writing the book of Romans, okay? That is awesome, okay? Like, because I was teaching Romans last week to some Bible college students, and I was reflecting upon, again, this truth, that here is this book that is taught Sunday after Sunday after Sunday after Sunday, because Paul put that material in writing, okay? And I recognize it's inspired by the Holy Spirit. I'm, I'm not inferring that it isn't. But because Paul, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, wrote these things down, we are still reading them. We are still encouraged by them. Verses like... Um, Neither life, nor death, nor angels, nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall separate us from the love of God, the end of Romans 8, or the beginning of Romans 8. There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. 
Powerful, powerful things that because Paul recorded them, wrote them down, we are encouraged by them. So the way we say that is write them for repeated encouragement. Speak them face to face. Your encouraging words matter, okay? Look for ways to encourage. If you're not prone to do that, then just make a concentrated effort this week. Actually go out of your way to say, I am looking for people to encourage, okay? Write them for repeated encouragement. When you speak them face to face, that's encouraging, but they're gone. When you write them, the person can continue to return to them. Romans is written in a three-month stay in Corinth. And finally, invite them. Speak them, write them, invite them. Because throughout this entire trip in Acts, as Paul goes back through these churches on the third missionary journey, he is taking an offering. He is collecting an offering from the various churches that in some cases were impoverished. And he was doing that because he said, I'm gonna go back to Jerusalem and give that offering to the churches back there. Now that's significant for a couple of reasons. The churches in Jerusalem, the Christians there, because they lived in a Jewish population, probably would have been ostracized. Some of them would have been kicked out of the synagogue. Some of them would have been without work and, and there was a famine coming through. So he said, listen, I want to go back and help them. But it's significant for another reason. He, out here in Greece, in Macedonia, is speaking at Gentile churches, not Jewish believers. And he is saying to them, listen, they, some of the Jewish people have pushed you aside, but what if we take your offering? What Paul is actually doing is inviting a participation, not only for financial help, but actually for the partnership that will potentially exist between Gentile believers and Jewish believers. See, that's what he's trying to do. And I love it because one of the churches he visits is the church in Philippi, to which he writes later in the book of Philippians. And you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into a partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. I am well supplied, he says, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent. See, there it is. A fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. Note this, that that gift... That money gift that they gave was a fragrant offering and God was pleased by it. You say, well, that's because the Philippians had a lot of money. Look at verse 19. And my God will supply every need of yours for needs unless you actually have needs, okay? Now, you should pray for them anyhow, right? Because Jesus said, give us this day our daily bread. So we should be in that pattern. But when you actually have needs, when you know you are in need, you're definitely gonna pray for a need. And notice how Paul speaks of that. He says, and my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches of gl in glory in Christ Jesus. So when we're looking for opportunities, when it comes to be an encourager, we know these three things immediately. Speak to them face-to-face -face with encouraging words. Write them for repeated encouragement. Invite them to participate with you because that is also part of God's plan. Let's talk about be an investor. Be an investor. Use relationships to grow others. Use your words to help others, but use your relationships to grow others. I'm just gonna tell you, we are prone um, to be selfish people, even selfish people in the relationships that are around us. Um, I'm guessing that as we head into Christmas, some of you are looking forward immensely to uh, getting together with family, and some of you are kind of a little skittish with how challenging that's going to be. Okay. Some of you are saying, Phil, um, for those of who say, hey, it's merry and it's, and it's beautiful and it's bright, that's great, but getting the, my family together with Christmas is, 
well, it's just difficult. And I just want to tell you that I would encourage you this year to look at those relationships as how you can invest in them. When, when you hear somebody's need, interact with them. Don't just roll your eyes and say, well, that's uncle so-and-so, okay? Look for ways to invest in them. Because one of the things you immediately discover in Paul's writing, and we just zip right over it without paying any attention to it. The end of Romans chapter 16 is 27 names. Paul is heavily invested in people. And here, right in the book of Acts, all of a sudden he drops all these names. And when you and I read those names, we tend to say, I can't even pronounce them. I'm just going to jump to a verse I understand, right? But if you actually think about them for a little bit, you would discover what um, Clinton Arnold says. The Apostle Paul does not work alone. He's a team player and team developer. He is constantly investing himself into the lives of other people who will share in the work of ministry with him and continue in his absence. Okay? He's not working alone. He's working in a team. I had a great opportunity to see this take place yesterday because, you know, James says, um, pure religion and undefiled is this, to visit the orphans and widows in their need. And so one of our connection groups actually went out to one of our widow's homes, uh, who's just a recent widow, and did some cleanup work in her backyard. And I didn't bring any pictures of that, but, but I'm just, I didn't say I was going to do this either, but I'm going to do it. So if you were a part of that cleanup crew, just stand wherever you are for me. You were out there cleaning up the other day, okay? And what you see is, John, I'm hoping you weren't wearing that jacket yesterday. Okay, okay. What you see are people who got together to go serve. It was a, thanks, Tom, I didn't see you on this side. You guys can be seated, right? It was a team effort, okay? And there's something unique that happens when we don't try to do it all alone, but when we bring together a team or an effort. Let me just point this out to you in a couple of names, okay? Verse 3 says, as he was about to set sail for Syria, he decided to return through Macedonia. Now, you got seven names that are going to get dropped here. And there's several reasons for this, but I'm going to tell you one of them, at least I think, is Paul has a pretty sizable offering in his backpack, Now, you don't want to get on a ship of people you don't know um, with a pretty sizable offering in your backpack, And so he takes seven other men who go with him. So you can kind of deem these guys almost as his bodyguards. But there's another factor in them too. They are Gentiles. They're going back. They're going to kind of make this connection and try to get back to Jerusalem with him. Why? So that they can say, we're the ones as representatives of this church, a Gentile church over in another part of the world that are bringing you the offering. There's something pretty special about that. But let me just single out three of them for you and teach you some things about how you can invest in relationships to grow. Sopater the Berean, uh, Aristarchus, and Tychicus. So let me just take those three names because one of the things you can do to discover ideas in the Bible is you can chase these various names through other places in the Scripture. Now, Sopater may be found in Romans 16 if we change his name slightly, but I'm noting here that he is the Berean, okay? And that's important because... You want to seek out those who are studying. Seek out learners. Seek out those who are studying. We should always be investing without reservation in whoever will listen. But when someone is truly studying and listening, you definitely do not want to let that person slip through the cracks. In fact, notice what we learn about the Bereans in Acts chapter 17, verse 11. 
Now the Bereans were more of noble character than the Thessalonians, for they received the message with great eagerness and examined the scriptures every day to see if what Paul said was true. Okay. Now for just a moment, they were going to get on a ship. Can, can you imagine this? Paul invited Sopitar with him, who's a Berean, who always keeps asking Paul, 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 I've been looking in this verse. I'm not sure this is true. Okay. Like, that's remarkable. Paul isn't just looking for relationships where the person is not engaged in learning and growing. And he's not afraid of Sopator correcting him or asking him, I'm trying to understand this from the scripture. So that's a great reminder. Seek out those who are studying. Here's the second idea. Seek out those who are suffering. Aristarchus is listed on a couple of other occasions in the scriptures, but I want to show you one place where he's listed. In Colossians chapter 4, verse 10, Paul says, Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner greets you. There's only one reason why you're a fellow prisoner with the Apostle Paul. That's because you stood with the Apostle Paul when they kicked him off to prison, okay? And that happens pretty regularly for Paul. And here is Aristarchus, who is a fellow prisoner with him. And this is writing the book of Colossians, is back in Rome. So there he is writing Colossians from Rome. Aristarchus is a prisoner in Rome with him. But notice back in Acts, he invites him on the journey. Like, can you, hey, you want to go with me? I'm going to go back to Jerusalem. Where are we going to do after that? We're going to go to prison. Cool, prison ministry. Nope, you're going to be a prisoner. Like, like that's wild, right? And yet there's Aristarchus who understands some suffering. And he understands hard work too, because in the book of Philemon, which by the way, was written from prison, he says, Epaphras sends greetings to you as so do Mark Aristarchus, Demas, and Luke, and my fellow workers. So here is Aristarchus, a fellow worker, a fellow prisoner. And we see somebody suffering. Those people are in a window to really, really learn. We want to make sure we're investing there. And then there's one more, seek out those who are serving. Seek out those who are serving. One of the names mentioned in the book of Acts is the name Tychicus. Now, I also find that name in Colossians chapter 4. Tychicus will tell you all about my activities, Paul says. He is a beloved brother and a faithful minister and a fellow servant in the Lord. Like, how would you like to be described that way by the Apostle Paul? He's a brother, he's faithful, he's a fellow servant in the Lord, and I have sent him to you for this very purpose. Here's what you need to know about Tychicus. Tychicus delivers two letters, that is two New Testament letters, Colossians and Ephesians, from the hand of Paul to those churches. Now, I know that's really hard to fathom because we live in a digital age. We would have said to Tychicus, take the day off, I sent it in an email, okay? And because everything's digital, um, once it's digital, somebody else has a copy, somebody else has a copy, there's a copy somewhere in the cloud and somewhere else in, somewhere else in the cloud and, and I don't know what I'm talking about, but that's where they are, okay? Okay, here's what I want you to know. That is not what happened here. This man, one man, one man, for one moment in time, has your book of Colossians in his hand. and That's it. There is not a copy at that stage. And if you've ever been ministered to by the book of Ephesians, like found tremendous encouragement from that passage or found yourself at the end reading Ephesians chapter 6 and the armor of God and saying, wow, I feel so protected, know that there was one man who at one stage carried that one letter to the church of Ephesus. It's amazing. These are the guys Paul picks. 
He seeks out those who are suffering. He seeks out those who are studying. He seeks out those who are serving. Jump alongside people when they get engaged like that. Don't stand idly by. Don't say you're too busy. Okay, okay. now we got one more thing to talk about. Here it is. Here it is. Um, we want to be a faith stepper. Use your opportunities today for others. Use your opportunities today for others. As I've been studying the book of Acts, I have been so overwhelmed with, it's kind of like I just keep sitting back and thinking, man, Paul has so much faith. Like he goes into a city, they throw a riot in a stadium with 23,000 people and he says, hey, can I go in there and have a word? Like I just want to say something, okay? No, Paul, you can't go in there. They're going to kill you. Like over and over again, you just see Paul taking steps of faith and I, I stand amazed how he just keeps walking, his body probably bent over from, from all the beatings that he underwent and those kinds of things, potentially some scholars have said, losing his eyesight. Nothing stops this guy. He just keeps going. And even when they take him out of town and stone him and leave him in the ditch dead, he gets up, okay, comes back to consciousness and says, well, I got to go back into that town again and walks right back into the same town, okay. He is remarkable. And sometimes we look at people like that and we think, well, I could never be like that. Okay. I just want to tell you, this is why I kind of coined this term, faith stepper. You don't need to see the end result. You just have to see what God is asking you to do today. Sometimes when I'm counseling a person through a problem, I will literally get them up from the table and I'll say, I want you to stand right here in this corner and I want you to find a way to get over here, and I'll put a piece of paper on the other side of the room, some 18 feet away, and I'll say, I want you to get from there to there without touching the carpet. And people look at me and say, it can't be done. And I said, oh, yes, it can be done. And I give them a stack of paper, and I say, here you go. And I put the first piece down, and they take a step and stand on that piece. They take the, put the next piece down, and they take a step and stand on that piece. And at some stage, I just give them the stack of paper, and they figure it out, right? They just keep putting the pieces of paper down until they find themselves on the other side of the room looking back at where they were. And that's the image I want you to see. That when you say, I could never be what the Apostle Paul is, I could never do that, I just want to remind you, you can take those steps. Learn to take steps. Learn to take steps. So we we want to say it this way. Use your opportunities Use opportunities today for others. That's why I chose the word today because I don't want you to think about a long-term faith plan. I just want you to think about what God is asking you to do today, okay? Now, we're in this passage where, uh, where we're in this passage where this man, young man falls out of the window and, and Paul resurrects him to life. So just let me show you just a couple things quickly in this text. Here's the first idea. Get out together. Okay, well, let's, I'm going to give you the three phrases. Get out together, get out of overscheduling, and get out of your comfort zone. So here we go. Here's the first one. Get out together. Do you make it a habit to gather with others? Do you make it a habit to gather with others? On the first day of the week, Paul says, verse 20, verse 7, on the first, chapter 20, verse 7, on the first day of the week when we were gathered together, it's the word synago there, the Greek word gathered. It, it, it means that you actually pulled everybody together. It's not a secret that COVID changed a lot of things. COVID changed um, a lot of things for a lot of people. Let me give you one of them. 
Um, since COVID, between the ages of 18 and 25, some 25 or 30 percent of young people have considered taking their lives. Anxiety went through the roof. Isolation went through the roof. I don't think we've fully seen the long-term implications of that level of disruption to a society because everybody was separated. The Bible has a reason for saying you need to be gathering together. We are thrilled we have an online presence. We are thrilled if you're watching with us online. We're thrilled that, you know, you're, you're over in Scotland and China. We know you're there. Thank you for joining us, okay? But I would tell you as well that, that we, if you could be here, there is something you miss when you're not here, and there's something we miss when you're not here. I recognize it's a challenge. I recognize it's difficult, but I note this, that the text says on the first day of the week, when we were gathered together. And the idea of their breaking bread means that they were gathered together for the purpose of the Lord's table, okay? Um, Now watch what happens. Maybe a way to ask that question is, do you make it a habit to gather with others? Here's the second idea. Get out of overscheduling. I was thinking this as I was reading the text and I actually smiled. Is your life too busy for the Apostle Paul? Is your life too busy for the Apostle Paul? We are thrilled to have John here today singing here as we wrap up the service. But what if I, what if today the Apostle Paul showed up, okay? And we said, hey, just a little bit of a disruption. We have the Apostle Paul here and he's available for questions, okay? Um, But he's gonna be here till midnight, okay? How many of you would have just gone like that and thought, hmm, Man, I wish the Apostle Paul could say things more concisely. Okay. Can't he be done in 20 minutes? Doesn't he know my attention span only goes seven and a half minutes? Right. I tend to think that we become so overscheduled that our life might be too busy even for the Apostle Paul. That even if I could bring Paul in, the Apostle Paul in, to speak to us, um, you would say it's too long. And just let me show you a couple things in the text. It says, and he prolonged his speech until midnight. Now, the word here, speech, is a great word because it's the Greek word diaglomai. It means he dialogued. It doesn't mean he he spoke. Our English translation renders it that way. And the King James actually renders it the word preaching, but it isn't preaching. Uh, Diaglomai is the word we get dialogue from. It means that as Paul is speaking, people are asking questions, and then he's speaking again, and then they're asking another question, and he's speaking again, which is why it gets prolonged, because Paul's probably ready to go home, but they're not, okay? They just keep asking questions. Here he is in this little church in Troas, and, and they're gathering, and they just keep going on and on and on and on. And then I notice that when he, he raises the young man from the dead, it's like, okay, that's taken care of. What, what are we gonna do next, okay? Look at verse 11. And when Paul had gone up and had broken bread and eaten, now he goes back and he gets another meal, okay? Like, hey, we celebrated the Lord's table earlier, but this use of breaking bread, the way the grammar is defined, actually is a meal. So it's like, is anybody hungry? Wow, that was a lot of work. That guy fell out of the window. He just got resurrected. He's sitting over there. Is anybody else hungry? Why are we eating? Because I'm gonna preach from midnight till 6 a.m. And would we say in that, I'm just too busy. You and I control our schedule. And we should ask ourselves, you say, no, Phil, I don't control my schedule. My seven-year-old controls my schedule, okay? And they got all these events. Listen, I doubt that they paid for all those events. You did, 
And I think it's great that we live in a society where we can have our kids involved in various things, but I'm going to tell you right now, if you're too busy for the Apostle Paul, you are too busy. So get out of overscheduling because these people in this home stayed all night long. And you don't think that's a cool story to tell? What about the people who had to run off to whatever lessons they had or whatever programs they had or whatever things they had for their kids back then? The, the everybody else said, you're never gonna believe what happened. This guy falls out of a window, he's dead, he's actually dead. Paul leans over him, lifts him up with his arms and says, oh, he's come back to life. This guy gets resurrected, he sits up, Paul keeps preaching, you'll never believe all the stuff we learned. I thought I was paying attention before that guy, before that guy died and was resurrected. After he was resurrected, man, I had like, my eyes were like deers in a, he- deers in a headlight. I was paying attention, okay, because of what Paul was saying. And that moment where everybody learns is only possible for those who had not overscheduled. Here's the final one. Get out of your comfort zone. When did you last try something that would fail miserably? We are far too safe. When did you last try something that would fail miserably without God's help? You've heard me say this before, but the things in my life that I have done where I have actually voiced this kind of prayer to the Lord, Lord, I cannot do this, but if you want me to, I'll try. Those are the moments, those are the events where something happened on the backside of that where I look back and said, wow, that's how God works. When did you last try something that you would fail miserably without God's help? Because look at what happens here. When this young man falls out, by the way, it's a third story window, so it's not like he just broke an arm or something. This kid's dead, okay? He falls out of a third-story window. Paul went down and bent over him, and taking him in his arms, he said, do not be alarmed, for his life is in him. In other words, as Paul lifts him up, just like Elijah did in in Old Testament times, just like Jesus called for us, Lazarus, um, this boy comes back to life. I've thought about that. I've thought about that because if I had been Moses and I was walking through the wilderness back to Egypt, And, you know, God had just done that thing with me at the burning bush where he'd stick your hand in your cloak, pull it out. It's leprous, stick it back in. Okay, pull it out again. It's clean. Take your staff. Is it a staff? Yeah, throw it down. It's a serpent. Pick it up. Oh, it went back to a staff again. If God had given me that instruction in Exodus chapter 3, I'm just going to tell you, I think I'd have practiced it a few times before I met Pharaoh. Okay. I'd have been walking back there saying, Lord, when's this going to do that thing again? Okay. Because the point is this, that what we need are more events in our life where we have to trust God in it because it's so large or massive that we would fail miserably if God wasn't in it. A friend of mine and I used to say this when I would travel with him on the mission field. He would say, Phil, don't give me man-sized projects. Give me God-sized projects. I want to ask God for things that if he doesn't show up and participate, It can't happen. I love that. That's my way of saying, when did you last try something that would fail miserably without God's help? Maybe as we head into the new year, you could be thinking, what do I need to do to get out of my comfort zone, right? Am I only doing the things that that I can manage? Or am I taking on a few things that seem way beyond me 
And that can just be a conversation with someone that you think is going to go south. That can be um, an opportunity for you to participate in something else that you haven't even thought about. But don't back away because you say, I could never do that. Because the times where you say, I cannot do that, but if God wants me to, I'll try. Those are the times where we see God step in. And just like Paul, this young man is raised from the dead. Here's what I want you to see in our text this morning. Be an encourager, use your words to help others. Be an investor, use your relationships to grow others. Be a faith stepper, use your opportunities today for others. This Christmas, make sure you keep your eyes off yourself, okay? We are gospel people who are supposed to be taking the gospel to the world, not simply growing comfortable with where we are. Be an encourager, be an investor, be a faith stepper. Will you bow your heads with me? We've talked a lot about faith this morning. We've talked a lot about um, what God would have us do. Um, If you have never placed your faith in Christ, it might seem odd to mention it like this, but I would tell you that now's the time for you to consider that. The Bible says that he commended his love for us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. The gospel message that Paul preached is simple, it's clear, it's just this, that, um, that we were sinners in need of a savior. So the father sent a little baby boy to he came to seek, to serve, and to save. You can look that up in the scriptures for yourself and find it. He came to seek those who were lost. He came to serve those who were arrogant. And he came to save those who were dead in their trespasses and sins. And so we find hope by placing our faith in Christ. If you've never made that decision, we have prayer partners available after the service, right down front. They would love to share that with you. See them, talk to them. Don't walk out of here without, if, we've arou- if the Spirit of God has aroused your interest, see them before you go. They would love to share with you how you can put your faith in Christ. For the rest of us who are here, just by way of reminder, be an encourager, use your words to help others. Be an investor, look for people and relationships to grow. And look for your opportunities today. Step out on God-sized projects, not just man-sized projects. Father, indeed, we are grateful for the chance to spend time in your word today. We pray that you would help us, grow us, change us, so that we could be conformed to the image of Christ, that we could be just like Jesus. May this Christmas be the one in which when we face difficult situations with family member gatherings or friends gathering, that people wouldn't see us as standoffish, but they would see us showing the love that Jesus had the least likely in the room. Help us be those kinds of people because that's what our Savior does and that's what we want to do. And we ask this in your son's precious name.